Welcome to the Faith Heights Church audio podcast. We pray that this message will bless you and feed your faith as you listen in today. How's it going, everybody? Good. Hey, Sean, can you do me a favor? Can you turn on the lights for up there? We got some people sitting in the balcony, and they probably can't even read their Bible because it's dark up there. And uh, still didn't turn on. You need to head it again. There we go. There. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Good. And Dominic said, let there be light. <laughs> and there was. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jesus will probably talk to me about that later. Um, everybody doing good today? Oh, man, it's so good to see everybody in here. I love gathering. There's nothing like gathering together with people who believe the same as you, um, who probably most of the time talk the same way you do, um, and who just believe that Jesus is Lord and that uh, we have a mission, we have a purpose, and we're going to accomplish it, right? Amen. All right. Well, has and did anybody uh, ex, uh, today? Is anybody today expecting to see the favor of God in 2021? Oh, I can't hear you. Are you expecting to see the favor of God in 2021? Amen. I am too. And uh, how many of you, in the midst of everything that happened in 2020, saw the favor of God? Amen. I, I tell you what, I was thinking about, you know, my, our, me and Rachel's year, 2020, and despite everything that went on, I think um, it was probably one of our best years ever. Um, financially, spiritually, um, family-wise, I, I know m maybe that's not the case for everybody, but um, it was the case for us, and I think a lot of people in here it was, I remember speaking to a business owner in the summer and they were um, doing 100,000 more in sales than in 2019, in July. I don't know what they finished at uh, at the end of the year, but they were doing that good in, in the midst of everything that was happening in 2020. That's the favor of God. That it doesn't matter what's going on in your surrounding, it doesn't matter what's going on in this country, now, we stand up for what we believe, right? We do our part. That's, that doesn't mean we, we go lax and we don't do anything about what's going on in our world. But at the end of the day, God is still on the throne. He's still my Lord. He's still your Lord. And he is going to see to it that we uh, are taken care of. Amen? All right, so sometimes favor can be obvious, right? The blessed shall call you blessed. Well, if the blessed are calling you blessed, it's pretty obvious, right? That favor is on your life. But sometimes it's not so obvious, and maybe the channels that favor's trying to get to you uh, is not so obvious. So the title of my message today is Favor in Disguise. Favor in Disguise. So turn with me to 2 Kings. It was funny, I had a note here to pray, but pastor already took care of that, so we're going to skip that little, that little line there. So 2 Kings 5. We're going to look at a story today in the Old Testament about a commander from the uh, Syrian army back in the day. His name is Naaman. 
and we're going to read um, the whole story, but we're going to start in verse 1. So 2 Kings 5. I'm going to read out of the New King James Version today. So 2 Kings 5, verse 1. It says, Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. So this isn't even an Israelite. Unbeliever, Gentile, had favor on his life. Did you know um, even an unbeliever who um, has spoken evil towards God, doesn't believe in God, atheist, did you know they have a portion of his favor on their life? They're breathing, aren't they? So we shouldn't give up on them because God hasn't given up on them yet. Amen? Um, he was also a mighty man of valor, <laughs> but a leper. Don't you hate that? Don't you hate those butts? Man, Daniel's a great guy, but uh, I, don't, I don't know. Uh, Nikki's a great girl, but mm, I don't know, and fill in the blank, whatever it is. No, don't fill in the blank for her, but maybe it's some, some Dominic's a great guy, but uh, you know, he's, uh, he gets a little mad sometimes, a little testy. Um, you know, Peter's a great guy, but occasionally he cuts people's ears off. Um, you know, a lot of butts just, just aren't, ugh. it's like, we know some butts about us, right? You know, everybody's saying, oh, I'm a great person, but, you know, I, maybe I'm not so good with money. Did you know the labels that we put on ourselves and the labels people gives us is not the labels God gives us? He sees you as a mighty man, as a mighty woman of valor. You just need to stop yielding to your old man so you can get your butt out of the way, as Jesse Duplantis says. Amen? All right. Verse 2. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back a captive young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. Then she said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. And Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus said the girl who is from the land of Israel. Notice that it took this slave woman from Israel to do this one thing. Did you know if it wasn't for her, this story wouldn't even be in the Bible? And that's the only verse we ever hear about her. So that's my first point today. Number one, favor can be disguised as an insignificant person in your life. Favor can be disguised as an insignificant person in your life. I'm going to name some examples because most of you are probably thinking, I don't have any insignificant people. Everybody's equal in my life. Okay, well, how about your parents? Um, remember when you were a teenager and you thought you knew everything? Yeah, they, they didn't know anything, right? When, you probably still think they don't know anything, but, you know, you need to repent of that later. Um, your kids, you know, they're younger than you. They, don't, uh, they haven't lived life as long as you, right? Oh, this is a good one. Your siblings. Oh, yeah, most of us probably still think that, that they're insignificant people in our life. Our siblings. Um, and maybe if you're an employer, how about your employees? Basically, it's people who you think you know more than. But did you know God will often use weaker vessels to teach you something? To speak through you? I mean, to speak to you through them? God is no respect of a person's. 
Amen? He will use, what, is, what does the Bible say? He used the foolishness of preaching to confound the wise. The moment we think we're too wise, the moment, that's the moment God's going to send somebody to humble us and to say something into our lives that we need to hear. So number one, favor can be disguised as an insignificant person in your life. I want to say this as well. When you sow favor, you will reap favor. How many of you know that anything you're lacking in your life, happiness, joy, finances, um, whatever it is, material or not, you need to sow those things so that way you can reap those things. If you're, not, if you're not willing to sow it, you won't reap it back into your life. So for an example, um, before I started working here, I worked in parts at a dealership in town. Um, I started out as a driver, so I drove around, delivered parts to um, shops around town and around the uh, western Colorado, all around. And um, eventually I got to the point where I got promoted and I was starting to be able to sell parts uh, to to the shops, you know, raise promotion, it was commission-based. And I knew absolutely nothing about parts. Um, I didn't know, I barely knew how to change my oil. Um, hopefully I bought the right oil when I changed my oil in the car and the right oil filter and all that. Um, hopefully when I uh, lifted my car, I actually put it on the right spot where it didn't take off like a bumper or something. I, you know, some people put it right on the bumper and, oh, it's gonna raise, no, you need to put it on the frame, dude, come on. So I barely knew how to do that, okay? So I didn't know nothing about parts. And I was thinking, what am I doing here? This is not what I'm supposed to be doing in life. But I felt like I was called there to be there, and so I needed to learn. And I knew I needed help to learn. I wasn't going to lone ranger and think I knew everything, which obviously I didn't. Um, So starting out, I um, would ask for help a little bit, you know, saying, hey, humble yourself, right? Asking for help is humbling yourself. But I knew if these people were going to keep helping me that I needed to show favor towards them. Another word, I needed to show kindness towards these people that knew a lot more than me. So I'd help them with their parts. I would do things that they'd ask me to do. Um, Sometimes they weren't very nice about it, (laughs) right? But eventually, you know what happened? They all loved me. And they all, like, cried when I left to come start working here. Why? Because I sowed kindness. I sowed favor before it was ever reaped to me. Because I said, I'm going to show you the love of God, whether you ever show it to me back. I'm going to show you kindness, whether you ever show it to me back. I'm going to show you honor, whether you ever show it back to me. I'm going to show you respect. Because you've been here longer than me, I don't know what I'm doing, and I need help. The Bible says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you. Amen? Sometimes humbling yourself looks like uh, you're playing a losing card, but that's the best card you can play is humility. Humility, one of the best cards you can play. God gives grace to the humble, right? So before we move on to the rest of Naaman's story, I want to show you something about the word favor. Favor in Hebrew, um, there's many different words in the Hebrew language for favor, but in this instance, when you're showing kindness towards somebody, grace towards somebody, it means chen, or it's, um, 
pronounced chen. C-H-E-N. Favor in the Greek is the word charis. Now check this out. I did not know this, but I learned it this week. In either language, both of them can be translated grace or favor. So for example, in the New Testament, Luke 2.52 says, Jesus grew in the stature and in favor with God and man. You could actually put the word grace right in there. In fact, any time in the New Testament you see the word grace, you can put the word favor right in there. Any time. So another example, Hebrews 4.16. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in our time of need. So, what did I just say? You can throw in the word favor and switch it around with grace if you see it. So it says, therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of favor, that we may obtain mercy and find favor and help in our time of need. Woo! You have direct access to the throne of favor. Right now, if you're a born-again child of God, you have direct access to the throne of favor. When I read that, I'm like, what is my excuse then? Amen. Come on. I, did you know, wherever you're at in life, even if things happened out of your control, the summation of where you are in your life right now is based on all the decisions you've made up to this point. You cannot blame the, you cannot point the finger at anybody else besides yourself. And especially when I read this, I can come to the throne of grace and favor at two o'clock in the morning if I want to and obtain mercy when I need it, obtain favor when I need it, anytime, right now. And guess what? Maybe you thought, um, you know, you've made too many mistakes you don't deserve it, <laughs> you're a perfect candidate for favor. You're a perfect candidate for mercy. Anybody made some mistakes? Uh, about 75% of you. So uh, um, let's try that again. Has anybody made a mistake? Then you are a perfect candidate to go to the throne of favor today and obtain mercy and obtain grace Obtain anything you need to accomplish your God-given purpose in this life. Woo! So again, I want to reiterate, whenever you see the word grace in the New Testament, you can put the word favor in there, and you wouldn't be doing it any sort of injustice. You wouldn't be changing anything. It's the same exact wording, favor and grace, same exact So the only person who can stop a flow of favor in your life is you. Not the flow of flavor, but the flow of favor. The only person that can stop a flow of favor in your life is you. Not your spouse, not God, not your employer, not your kids. You're the only one who can stop a flow of favor. I want, now I'm going to start saying flavor. You're the only one who can stop a flow of favor into your life. And we are without excuse. We can at any time come boldly to the throne of favor. Amen. Amen. In the midst of everything that is happening, um, 
I was studying for this on Wednesday. Man, that was an interesting day. And I'm thinking, it was really hard not to get discouraged. I'm just going to be honest with you. Um, but did you know everything that happened then has happened last year, that everything that will happen this year cannot stop the flow of favor in your life? You can flourish in the midst of famine. You can flourish in the midst of a depression. You can flourish in the midst of anarchy and evil because favor is dependent upon you. And you have the unlimited supply at your disposal at any moment. Amen? I'm getting excited. I don't know about y'all. All right, let's keep reading. When you get through this, we're going to be here for four hours. All right, verse 5. Then the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothes. That's, that's good to know that he took clothes. Um, then, he, uh, then he brought with... Then he brought the letter to, to the king of Israel, which said, Now be advised, when this letter comes to you, that I have sent Naaman, my servant, to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes, that's a bit dramatic, and said, Am I God to kill and make alive? That this man sends uh, a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Pretty much he thought the king of Syria was um, making fun of him. Uh, pretty much playing a very bad joke on him. Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. So he wants to fight? What? We don't want to do that. So it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes that he sent to the king saying, Why have you torn your clothes? No need for that. Please let him come to me and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Number two, Favor can come disguised as a preacher of the gospel. Like I said before, um, God chose the foolishness of preaching to confound, a wise, to confound the wise. Oh, I don't need to go to church today. Oh, I don't need to hear no preaching. Well, you might, you just might. See, the thing is, we need to do both things. We need to be coming to church and we need to be spending time with God in the secret place. You cannot... You cannot um, take one out of the equation. You need to be doing both. Amen? How does faith come? Faith comes by hearing, right? There's a couple ways we can hear. One, preaching from a preacher. Amen? And two, your own mouth. You speaking the word. Amen? So faith is how we receive for God, so we need to be coming to church and hearing some preaching. Church 101. I want you to realize today that favor is not just getting a good parking spot at the grocery store. I'm going to say that again. Favor is not just getting the front parking spot at City Market. Amen? I, I think some of y'all believe more for the, the parking spot in the front of City Market than you do for uh, financial blessing in your life. I was seeing some of y'all in the spirit getting your inner Pentecostal preacher on. Oh, Jesus. And pulling in the city market. Oh, Lord. Woo! Thank you, Jesus. I have the favor of God on my life. You're banging the steering wheel. You're like, oh, thank you, Lord, for favor. 
Woo! At this point, you're probably getting out of the car and like, oh, Jesus. Woo! Greater is he who's in me than he who is in the world. Going really hard to get that front parking spot. And then when it finally happens, it's like, oh, thank you, Jesus. Favor, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that I don't have to walk very far. Oh. And then sometimes when you don't get it, you're like, well, guess it didn't work. No, maybe the favor was you needing to walk a little bit more. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> favor is more than just material things, right? And money. Favor is more than that. Favor is no, no days in jail. Favor is no days in the hospital. Favor is having a great relationship with your spouse and children. Amen. Favor is uh, flowing in your calling and purpose. Favor is getting that promotion. Favor is receiving your healing. Grace provided healing. It's sometimes having nothing happen to you. You know, nothing can be really good. Not getting into a car accident can be really good. Not being at the mall when maybe there's a a shooter thinking about shooting a bunch of people? What happened today? Oh, nothing. Great. <laughs> nothing can be really good. But I think sometimes we've diminished favor to just the stuff that I have. And it's way more than that. Does God want you to have stuff? Is he okay with that? But is he okay with stuff having you? No. Not at all. Favor is a lot more than just material things. Favor is everything that I just said. Now, prosperity is included in that, but how many of you know we need to be good stewards of that too? Amen. Favor is being smart with finances, right? Yeah. Favor is having the wisdom of God in the area of finances, business, your calling. I mean, when you, when you think about favor, it's everything that you need. Everything that you need. I'll take that, Joe, now. Devil trying to stop me from preaching. Not today, <laughs> Satan. <laughs> All right. All right, let's keep reading. Verse 9. Then Naaman went with his horses and chariot, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha said, or excuse me, and Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. <laughs> he didn't even come out to the guy. Oh, I went to church and Pastor John didn't even talk to me. I got Dominic instead. Well, I'm sorry for one. Uh, two. Uh, hello, I'm just as anointed as Pastor John, right? And so is this messenger of Elisha. <laughs> Verse 11. But Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, now check this out. This is the picture he had in his mind of how it was going to go down. This is what he told himself um, on the way there when he got up that morning. This is how it's going to happen. This is how it's going to happen. He will surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. What? What? So he's going to stand there and probably get his inner Pentecostal preacher on and oh in Jesus name woo and be healed I guess that's how he thought it was going to go <laughs> he did, that's not how 
was going to go at all. So now he has a choice, right? Are not the Abana and the Far, Farpar? Don't even know what those are. The rivers of Damascus, aren't they better than all the waters in, of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? Pretty much, why are you sending me to the dirtiest river in the region? So now he feels offended, insulted. This is, uh, this is not going good, right? This is not how he thought today would play out. So he turned and went away in a rage. I want to stand at this point for a while. Number three, favor comes disguised as an unfulfilled expectation. Favor comes disguised as an unfulfilled expectation. Has anybody ever had an expectation that was unfulfilled? You were expecting one thing, and it didn't go that way. There was only like three hands, but I'm pretty sure everybody. I like, I like uh, you know, um, reaction. Favor comes disguised as an unfulfilled expectation. So check this out. Hope is confident expectation, right? We're supposed to have expectation. It's like, I'm thinking about this, and I'm like, Lord, you know, show me. what This doesn't really make sense. Here's the thing. We cannot put an expectation on how God will do something. We need to be putting our confident expectation that he will do it. I'm going to say that again. We cannot put an expectation on how God will do something because he's God. He's going to do it however he feels like. But we need to be putting our expectation that he will do it. Amen? All right. For example, let's turn to uh, John 11. Let me give you a couple uh, New Testament examples of this. John 11, we're going to read verse 1 through 6. Um, probably the, a story where expectations did not uh, be fulfilled in the way people thought. We're not going to read the whole story, but we'll just read a few verses. So John 11, verse 1, it says, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha, it was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, the one whom you love is sick. So this isn't, ju- this isn't just some stranger. This is somebody that was really good friends with Jesus, somebody he loved a lot. Verse uh, 4, When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Interesting statement. Verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So it prefaces the next uh, verse. It says, now he loved him. So in verse 6, when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. <laughs> Tell me how that makes sense at all to the natural mind. Hey, I love you so much. I love you so much. I'm going to stay for two more days. Um, but, you know, when the messenger came back to Mary and Martha, um, he said, what? 
Did you ask him the right question? Did you, did you put a little emphasis on he's going to die? Did he understand the words coming out of your mouth? Yes. And he said he was going to stay two more days. What? That's an unfulfilled expectation. See, they were expecting him to drop what he was doing and go run to the aid of Lazarus and heal him. And it didn't happen that way. Woo! How many times have we expected God to do something a certain way and it didn't happen the way we thought it was going to happen? Take the election, for example. A lot of us were expecting it to go a certain way and it didn't go that way. Did God lie about things? Or is he just not doing it the way we thought? He was going to do it. So what should our faith be in? That he's going to do something. That what he said will come to pass, just not how I think it's going to happen. Think of all the way, different ways Jesus healed. I mean, today, I'm going to spit in the ground and slap that dirt right on your eyes. <laughs> the next day, I'm just going to rebuke the problem and it's going to be gone. See, this is why it's so important to be led by the Spirit because a lot of times we think in our lives something happened this way in the past and now it's going to happen that same way again. Not a true statement. Not a true statement. So we need to have our faith and our confident expectation that God will fulfill his promise, but we can't put an expectation on how he will do it. That's putting God in a box. He doesn't like being put in a box. He will destroy your box. Amen. Let's go to another New Testament example. Mark 11. Mark 11, 23. Or excuse me, Mark, yeah, Mark 11, 23. Everybody could probably quote this if you've been coming to this church for at least a month. It's right there. It hit me. As soon as I started reading this, Mark eleven twenty three, it says, For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Did Jesus say anything about how the mountain was going to move? Did he say anything about that? No. Did he say it will move? So why is it when we um, are declaring this mountain's going to leave in our life that we automatically put uh, a box around how God's going to remove that mountain? What if today he wants to smash it with an asteroid? I'm talking about a physical mountain now. What if the next day he wants to like take a giant uh, heaven knife and cut the mountain right out of the way? Or what if the next day he wants to just uh, send a an earthquake and just dissolve the mountain into the ground. He didn't say anything about how the mountain was going to move. He just said that the mountain would move. So what's your faith in? How he's going to do it or just that he's going to do it? See, maybe, maybe the reason you haven't seen a mountain move in your life yet is because you put an expectation on how it will be done 
and God's not going to do it that way. So you have your faith in the wrong thing. You have your, maybe you're suffering with some sickness, disease, whatever, whatever it is, financial lack, don't put God in a box on how it's going to be done. Just know it will be done. That he cannot lie. It doesn't matter. I mean, look at Abraham, right? God gave him his son Isaac, the promise. Abraham's what, 100 years old at this time? And, he, and God showed him all the stars in heaven and said, your descendants will be as numerous as the stars. So what does God do? Wakes Abraham up. Hey, I need you to go offer Isaac on the altar. What? I mean, am I hearing you right, God? This is the, this is the son you gave me of promise that I will have many descendants. Now you want me to kill him? That makes zero sense. But did he debate with God about it? No. The Bible says he got up, got his stuff together, took Isaac with him, and they left. Did Abraham expect uh, his story to go like this? No. So they got there, everything's set up, and he's about to do it, and the angel says, stop. Now in Hebrews, I, th I believe it's Hebrews, it says, Abraham was so confident that Isaac was the son of promise, that God was just gonna have to raise him up from the dead if he was gonna have me kill him. He had zero doubt that Isaac was still who God said he was. Zero doubt. Even if it meant killing him. He's like, well, you want me to kill him, God? I guess you're just gonna have to do a little resurrection thing right now because you said he was the son of promise and that every, all my descendants would be through him. Do we believe God like that even when stuff doesn't make sense? Do we have faith in what he said and not on how he's going to do it? Did God ever change his mind? Did Abraham ever think that God changed his mind? No, because God doesn't lie. That's the kind of faith we have. We have that same measure of faith, amen? the Abraham faith. Amen. All right. I want to, uh, wow, time is rolling here. Um, I wanted to show you something out of a book that I've been reading. It's called Good to Great. I don't know if anybody's ever read it, but if you're a business owner or um, want to become a business owner, I strongly suggest you get this book. It's a great book. And in it, he details something called the Stockdale Paradox. Stockdale Paradox. So I was going to like um, summarize it and all that. And I'm like, I just can't do it justice. Now I was thinking I would have a free hand when I did this. So bear with me. No, it's good. Thank you. Appreciate that. So I'm going to read the story and then I'll tell you what the Stockdale Paradox is. Actually, I'll tell you in, when I read it, but then I'll reiterate it. So it says, the name refers to Admiral John Stockdale, who was the highest ranking United States military officer in the Heonian Hilton prisoner of war camp during the height of the Vietnam War. Tortured over 20 times during his eight-year imprisonment from 1965 to 1973, Stockdale lived out the war without any prisoner rights, no set release date, and no certainty as to whether he would survive and see his family again. Wow. 
He shouldered the burden of command, doing everything he could create doing everything he could to create conditions that would increase the number of prisoners who would survive unbroken. Wow, what a leader. While fighting an internal war against his captors and their attempts to use prison uh, uh, their attempt to use prisoners for propaganda. At one point he beat himself with a stool, cut himself with a razor, deliberately disfiguring himself so that way he could not be put on a videotape as an example of a well-treated prisoner. He exchanged secret intelligence information with his wife through their letters, knowing that discovery would mean more torture and perhaps death. He instituted rules that would help people deal with torture. No one can resist torture indefinitely, so he created a step system. After X minutes, you say certain things that gave men certain milestones to look forward to. He instituted an elaborate internal communication system to reduce the sense of isolation that the captors tried to create, which used a five by five matrix of tap codes for alpha letters. So they would tap, tap, tap means this, tap, tap, pause, tap means this. At one point during an imposed silence, the prisoners mopped and swept the central guard using the code, swish swashing out, we love you, to Stockdale. On the third anniversary of his being shot down after he was released, Stockdale became the first three-star officer in history to wear, in the history of the Navy to wear both aviator wings and the Congressional Medal of Honor. Wow, sounds like he deserves it. You can understand my anticipation then for the prospect of spending part of my afternoon with Stockdale. And he goes on to say that he read the book that Scott uh, Stockdale and his wife wrote called Love and War. Uh, they wrote it together detailing all the eight years of that. And he said, I, as I moved through the book, I found myself getting depressed. It just seemed so bleak, the uncertainty of fate, the brutality of his captors and so forth. And then it dawned on me. Here I am sitting in the warm and comfortable office looking out over the beautiful Stanford campus on a beautiful Saturday afternoon. I'm getting depressed reading this and I know the end of the story. I know that he gets out, reunites with his family, becomes a national hero, and gets to spend the later years of his life studying philosophy on this same beautiful campus. If it feels depressing for me, how on earth did he deal with it when he was actually there and he didn't know the end of the story? That's a good question, huh? This is what he said. Stockdale said, I never lost faith in the end of the story. He said when I asked him, I never doubted that not only would I get out, but also that I would prevail in the end and turn the experience into a defining event in my life, which in retrospect, I would not trade. Did you get what he just said? I have no idea if he's a Christian or not. Well, that's straight Bible right there. He said, I never lost faith in the end of the story, no matter what happened to him. No matter what the circumstances were, he never lost faith in the end. This is important, what I'm about to read. I didn't say anything for many, for many minutes. We continued the slow walk toward the facility club, Stockdale limping and arc swinging his stiff leg that had never fully recovered from his repeated torture. Finally, after about 100 meters of silence, I asked, who didn't make it? Who didn't make it out? Good question, right? Oh, that's easy, he said, the optimists. When I read that, I'm thinking to myself, hmm, 
interesting. And that's what he said. The optimist, I don't understand. I said, now completely confused given what he had just said 100 meters before. The optimists, they were the ones who said, we're going to be out by Christmas, and Christmas would come, and Christmas would go. Then they'd say, we'd be out by Easter, and Easter would come, and Easter would go. And then Thanksgiving, and then Christmas again. Check this out. And they died of a broken heart. The torture didn't kill these people. A broken heart did. Another long pause and more walking. Then he turned to me and said, this is the Stockdale paradox right here. A very important lesson. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. See, I think a lot of times we've taken faith and said, um, and actually made it a lie. What do I mean by that? Well, say you get cancer or whatever. I've heard many people say this. And it's not true. They think their confession of faith is, I don't have cancer. That's not true. That's a lie. It is in your body. It is invading. But what does the truth say? By his stripes, you were healed. We don't deny the problem. We don't... Um, discard the facts, but we override the facts with what the word of God says about the situation. Amen? Amen. Amen. Because the truth is the only thing that can change the facts. Amen? Amen. So the Stockdale paradox, I'll say it again, retaining faith that you will prevail in the end. I'm going to say retaining faith that what God said will come to pass regardless of the difficulties. Hello, in this country. And at the same time, confronting the brutal facts of our current reality, whatever they might be. Guess what? Faith in the end of the story. Last time I checked, we got the end of the story. We got the word of God. Your story has an ending whatever your situation might be, whatever healing you're believing for, whatever financial lack or whatever it is, depression, the end of the story is you're healed by his stripes. But we don't deny the problem in the midst of the fight. No, we're declaring that we're overcomers of this issue, of this problem. We are overcomers, we are not deceivers. That's the enemy. We are overcomers by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Amen. Amen. Are you guys getting something out of this? So when we put expectations on how God will do something, instead of expecting that he he just will do it because he didn't lie and he's God, we are actually being optimistic instead of hopeful. Bible never said anything about being optimistic. It does say a whole lot about being hopeful. What is faith? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. So if we're, hope is the main ingredient in faith. So if you're hoping in the wrong thing, you're starting out wrong already. No wonder we ha- we've been believing for some things and they haven't come to pass yet. 
Maybe we've been putting our expectation on the wrong thing, on how God will do it, not just that he will do it. I know, I'm, I'm thinking of all the times I've put expectations on how I thought God was gonna do something. And it didn't work out that way. But guess what? It still happened. I believed God for a long time to have a full-time job here at the church. Did it happen exactly how I thought it was gonna happen? No, absolutely not. But did it happen? It did. See, we can't lose faith in the end of the story. We need it. And we have the end of the story. That's the, that's the awesome part. We have the end. The author and finisher of our faith lives on the inside of us. We just need to stop putting an expectation on how he's going to do something and just expecting that he's going to do it. And guess what? A lot of the things he has already done 2,000 years ago, it's just on us to receive it. Amen? Amen. All right. Um, let's, let's go ahead and let's finish Naaman's story. In verse uh, 13, so 2 Kings 5, jump back to verse 13. Lost it in my Bible, so luckily I got it on my paper here. So it says, and his servants came near and spoke to him and said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more than when he says to you, wash and be clean? So they're telling, you were expecting him to do something more complicated than he's actually telling you to do. Well, if he would have asked you to do the more complicated thing, you would have easily done it. And he's like, yeah. Yeah, I guess so. I guess I, I guess I would have. So why don't you just go and do what he said? It's not what you expected. It's not how you thought it was going to go. But just do what he said. What's the worst that can happen? You get a little dirty. You brought 10 changes of clothes. We'll be all right. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> so verse 14. So we went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. He got his miracle. Amen? Amen? He just didn't get it how he thought he was going to get it. But guess what? Who cares how you get it? Just the fact that you get it. Number four, the final one. Favor can be disguised as something not spectacular. God is not into the spectacular. He's a supernatural God, which most of the time will produce a spectacular event, right? But first and foremost, he doesn't do things to be spectacular. We, there's so much in the supernatural that we don't understand. But he's a supernatural God, not a spectacular God. He's not like the devil. But he'll do whatever he said he's going to do however he wants to do it, because he's God. Favor comes disguised as something not spectacular. All right, so in closing, I want you to think about the different areas in your past where maybe you've unknowingly rejected the favor of God. Maybe it was disguised as somebody um, insignificant. Maybe it was disguised as something that wasn't spectacular all the things that we learned about today. 
And I want you to work on not letting that happen again. Me too. Because God will use people and he'll do things the way he wants to do it. And at the end of the day, all we got to believe in is that what his word says. What he's told us personally, we just got to believe he's not a liar. And he's not. But he's going to do it how he sees fit, not how we see it fit. Amen? Number two, I'd like you to identify areas where you've actually had optimism and not hope. Confident expectation in what God was going to do. Not confident expectation on how he was going to do it. Amen? Retaining absolute faith, never doubting like Abraham that the end of the story that God said was going to happen is going to happen. And however he leads me to get there, I'm just along for the ride. Amen? All right, so I preached this message today so that way you'd have unwavering faith in the favor of God and that you can look at any situation in your life as an opportunity for favor to be on full display. Full display. You know, it says in Romans that the goodness of God leads men to repentance. How, How do people see the goodness of God? In us, through us. We're always joyful. Even in the midst of Um, uncertain circumstances, even in the midst of everything going around, the fact that you're joyful is a huge witnessing tool to somebody. Or that you're blessed, and the blessed people call you blessed. And they know you ain't the smartest person, so it had to be somebody else doing something for you. (laughs) Amen? I don't know about you, but I ain't the smartest person. But I have direct access to the favor of God. And so do you. So do you. I'll choose favor over intellect any day of the week. I'll choose grace over intellect over over anything else any day of the week. Amen? All right, why don't we stand up? Father God, we thank you for today. We worship you. We exalt you. We give you all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory, and we thank you, Lord, that we have direct access to your favor 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And Father, right now, we repent, Lord, of any time that we've put an expectation on how you're going to do something. Or we repent. We plead the blood of Jesus. We say sorry. Lord, but we retain our faith and our expectation, our hope, on that what you told us will come to pass. That's what you've given us in the Bible is coming to pass, is manifesting. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Oh, come on, just worship him this morning. Lord, we worship you. We exalt you. We thank you for your mercy, and we are obtaining your mercy right now. We thank you for your favor, and we're obtaining it right now. We thank you for your grace, and we're attaining it, your, your love. Thank you, Lord. We worship you and we exalt you. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. For more information about this ministry, visit faithheights.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. To sow into this ministry, visit faithheights.org and click on the Donate tab. 